everybody. Welcome to episode 151 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I am one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robinson. And today, yeah. as promised, we have a guest. Yes. So, Mr. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> and what you do. And what you do. Uh, hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Shane Stanley, and I'm a filmmaker. Nice. Nice. But like an actual filmmaker. Not like people like us who like <laughs> pretend we're filmmakers. We're filmmakers. Yeah. I, I think anybody who who can record a visual medium and gets it out, and even if it's something they watch on their own, it's it's you know, I, I think filmmaker is a term that was really used big back in the day in the '60s and '70s, mm-hmm. and and has been so watered down. And when I had the pleasure of working with Zalman King uh, for the years I did, he he really used that phrase when describing his, himself. Mm-hmm. And to me, a filmmaker is somebody who who captures a vision and sees it through the end. And yeah. uh, they're involved in either the writing, the directing, the producing, the editing, and seeing it you know leave the nest and get out into the world. And that's that's what I do from concept to delivery. And um, so I waited until. Zalman passed, and once he did, I I picked that term up, and that's what I use, and um, I I use it with with a lot of endearment to somebody that was a big big part of my life. Oh, that's that's really nice. nice. Yeah, I um. You're also an author. Yeah, as well. I, I, I got to remember that part. It's funny. It's it's. it's Gotta add that. <laughs> author, yeah, it's filmmaker, author, instructor. You know, uh, nobody will let me be a teacher because I didn't, you know, get a degree. So. And that's a whole other story. Well, you didn't want to well, go into so, debt. Some what? of some of my, uh, yeah. some of the best teachers haven't gone to school, so that don't let that stop you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. It's just it's always been one of those, you know, well, you didn't really get a degree, and we, you know, have to live up to a certain standard with our boards, and you know, and I'm like, okay, cool, keep having those film teachers that did a short back in '86 or '90. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh wait, those teachers PA'd on those shorts. Got it. I'm glad they're shaping the next gen of our filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so I had found I had orish, originally started uh, watching your videos on YouTube. Is it Film Courage? Is that what we? Yeah. Yes. Film and yeah. I was the first. Now I, I watch everything out of order because I'm fun like that. And so hmm. I, the first one that I caught was about scripts, screenwriting, oh. and your screenplay and the protection of that. And um, I always have film friends they send me all these links like oh you should enter your script into this competition and i'm like "Eh," you know (laughs) and i feel like there's there's just a plethora of links and places that it's like send us your scripts send us your scripts and we're gonna make your film and this and there's such opportunity and i'm ever the pessimist and i'm like there's no way in hell i'm putting my shit up there i'm just like i've never heard of these people and then I, you know, I try to read the comments and I'm like, where is the person that won this last year? I don't see them. Um, and it kind of becomes like American Idol. What happens? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I had somebody say to me once, like, basically imply that it was that I was being sort of precious about like, oh, you, you really think somebody's going to steal your work? And it's like, look, I'm not the greatest writer in the world. I'm not worried about somebody taking my whole script, even though I know that that does happen. People have. Oh, yeah pretty much seen their entire film stolen but it's just i feel like there's such a lack of creativity with a lot of people and there's so many remakes of things and for some people all they need is just a little bit of an idea that somebody else has to jump off of and so i'm like why would i make that easier for somebody i'm trying to make this film happen 
for ourselves on a micro budget. And I'm not going to hand it over on the like 1% chance that this might get read by somebody important. Um, and so when I had seen that, when you were like, you know, I think I think everybody goes to like protect right or something because it's like twenty five dollars or something. And I always wondered like, well, but that's in a that's in a database somewhere. So, I mean, you know, you know, learn it, it, learn us. <laughs> well, you know, I got a lot of flack for that interview um, really? because I wouldn't name names, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, oh, everybody cries and says their script was stolen. Oh, if this guy meant what he said he would have you know dropped names all day long no it doesn't work that way um there are people i've worked with that have blatantly taken things that i did i conceptualized i spent years on and shamelessly have have just basically given me the big middle finger and hoped i wouldn't care and um i still will not give out names because two of them are incredibly relevant and incidentally i am i am actually working with one of the companies now on another project Mm -hmm. so i i you know i just look it is what it is i'm not a litigious guy i i am one of those people that when the milk has been spilled or the horse is out of the barn it is what it is move on i i had pursued some legal action on one of them and I will say that um, our lawyers on the case were were some of the best. They were uh, Sean Sean Luter and Greg Duvall, who handled the Coming to America case, which is one of the biggest, most known cases. Mm. And they took on the big boys, and uh, basically came back and said, "Look, you know, this is how they see it. This is how they're going to do it." However, um, there's another project you had that they're really interested in, and the the trade off was let's go into development on something else, which they did for, you know, ceremoniously for a couple of years. And there was some exchange of funds and contracts and all that fun stuff. But of course we, we all knew it was never going to materialize past that. And that's fine. Mm. They, they actually went as far as hiring a studio writer that they felt confident in and, and developed it for a couple of years. Um, and so, yeah, I think you are being very smart to treat your product as special and precious. Um, I, I can't tell you how how it irks me when writers especially will throw pages of their script up on Facebook forums saying, mm. hey, this is the first act of my new script. Give me comments. And it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> are you freaking trying to commit suicide? Here's or, my like, comment. You know? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so it happens. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really honored to say, I don't know if you know who Julia Kogan is. Julia Kogan was the original writer of Florence Foster Jenkins, oh, okay. uh, the mm-hmm. Meryl Streep film. And they, uh, she reached out to me with her producer. Uh, they're doing a documentary on exactly this. And it reached out to me and my partner, CJ Wally, who I work with. And they are doing a documentary. She was just awarded credit on the film a couple of months ago and is currently going through the whole settlement process, which that's her business, not mine. But here we sit four or five years later the film has come out. It was Oscar nominated and she was just unceremoniously thrown an IMDb credit as originally uncredited. Mm. But the movie's been out. It's circulated. Think about what missed opportunity she had yeah. riding that wave. Right. And mm. that happens a lot. And um, so they reached out to me after seeing the film Courage interview. And we've been really aggressive. Uh, I work closely with CJ. He's got his web platform for writers, which I encourage everybody to check out. Script Revolution. It's free to join, but there are all sorts of resources about protecting your work and and what not to do. And that comes from years of getting kicked in the head. 
I'm a slow learner. There's an old saying, even a dumb dog doesn't lick a hot stove twice. I've licked it three or four times. It wasn't until the last go around for me um, when I finally pulled my head out of my keister and realized that there's a better way and a smarter way to protect your IPs, your intellectual properties. And that starts with protecting it by registering it with the United States Copyright Office. WGA is cute. Um, they like to take your money for something that only lasts five years. You get a you know a nice little fancy certificate you can frame or send to your mother. Um, <laughs> and those things wear out after five years. Yes, there is some recourse to, hey, we registered this script on this date. However, um, the protection that comes with the U.S. copyright, which is only about $65 versus their 40 bucks, I think the WGA is, is it lasts 100 years, which is, I say, forever, because I don't think anybody registering a script or is old enough to do that is going to be alive. Right. And the copyrights can be updated. They can be, you know, if revised versions can be added to them on their website. But the most important thing is it, it shows people in Hollywood you're serious and you know what you know. And also um, that, you know, just a lot of things people don't know. And I say this as a filmmaker who is from concept to delivery. When you deliver your chain of title documents to the guilds, to your distributor, to your E&O, your errors and emissions insurance, um, they don't even accept the WGA certificate. Mm. Uh, they, they will say, no, don't send it. We need the U.S. Copyright Office certificate and proof. And that tells you everything right there. Mm -hmm. If chain of title, insurance, and distribution, and even the guilds are not accepting WGA, why should you? Yeah. 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 And the, the really crazy thing about a lot of these competitions is also that they charge you. Of course they do. To submit. So, you know, well, they charge see, you to buy a lottery ticket too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I'm just like, so I'm just handing my script over or, and I love when they're like, it doesn't even have to be a full script. Just give us the concept. I'm like, sure. Yeah, we love that. Let we love that. We love that. Hand that the concept over to you. Synopsis. Yeah. Give us that, that, that two page synopsis with an active paragraph. We love that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, when I had seen that episode, I was like, oh, this is really informative. I was like, I want I want to be able to talk to this guy. And um, another thing that was really interesting that you had discussed was that should this happen to you and your concept be stolen anyway, I feel like it's kind of a knee jerk reaction to take legal course well, right, right away. But your your suggestion was that, that they will scrap an entire production just to not have to pay. I mean, not that I didn't suspect these, these things before, obviously, you know, um, again, pessimist. So I'm, I'm just assuming everybody's crooked. <laughs> so. well, you know, what's funny is we made noise after the fact on the, the big one that led to another deal. Um, I have been around a lot of people in my day. And what I have noticed is when people successfully make noise, it's when the film is coming out. It when the film is done, they've started the PR machine. You're starting to see trailers, bus benches, sides of buildings, right. uh, all the advertisements. That means it's it's past the point of no return, and that is when smart people start making noise. Mm -hmm. The the one that I did is I went in with a quasi manager who was hip pocketing me about oh 18 years ago and went into a pretty large uh, management production company. There's a lot of the manager production companies. Brought him in a script, had a great pitch, had a great rapport with the VP of the company. And about a year and a half later, I was registering 
I had to re-register the script. It had lapsed at the WGA. We, it, it was actually a script my father wrote back in the 60s. I dusted it off, found it in an old garage, read it and said, this is dated, let's redo this. Mm -hmm. And he and I worked on this together for about three months, rewrote it. We're really excited about it, modernized it. It was a whole new script. And Dummy here at WGA did at one point down the road, got another manager. You know, you go through 20 or 30 of those in your journey. And um, she had read the script and said, my God, we got to get this thing made. It's a great script. And we just forget about this five-year ticking time bomb on these on these registries. And we, we went and met, gave him a script, never heard anything. You know, you got the, the, the thanks so much. No, thanks. Uh, let's keep the doors open. And then... I went to re-register the script, having forgotten it had lapsed, and went on IMDb to check the title to say, hey, is this a title we want to keep using? You know, titles get done, you know, 15 ways till Sunday. It's right. hard to find an original one. And I noticed there was a name of the film with the same title. And I said, huh, that's a drag. That was a cool title that we came up with. And then I looked at the log line and I said, that's, that's the log line. Oh, God. And then I looked at the cast. All the character names were the exact same. They weren't even smart enough to change the character names. And then I started researching it further and further. And it was so blatant that it was the same script and it was the same company that produced us with a mini major. I made the mistake while they were in post-production of telling a friend of mine who had a friend who worked there. And I started, you know, pounding my fists, banging my feet, whatever you do with your feet. And, uh, um, about two or three weeks went by and my friend called me back and he said, yeah, I don't think that things are going to see the light of day, dude. You know, that, that was, I guess, dropped the bomb and everybody, you know, again, you go back to the film career. Oh, well, if this was serious, um, you know, why would a studio get involved? Well, you got to understand when you bring along a project as a producer, the easiest thing to do is basically snow or, you know, sucker punch people that are going to be working with you down the road there. If you can provide your documents and a chain of title and repurpose a, a copyright and all your ducks are in a row, that all looks legit. Mm. It's not necessarily the people writing the check or distributing the film that are at fault. A lot of times it's the producers that are going to take these ideas from you and the film they completely unplugged. Uh, the film has never to this day seen the light of day. It was in post-production and it has, it's just parked. It never came out. Now, but now, and now had you waited till afterwards? Yeah. Oh, I should have waited another six or seven months. Right. Yeah. I, I really uh, screwed the pooch on that one, but uh, it is what it is. Um, and, and those things happen. And um, you know, my favorite story, if you guys want dirt is, I worked with a with a uh, a guy who had worked in television for many years, a good friend of mine, Josh, and we developed a show that we were really passionate about, and we thought it was a great idea for it was a high concept TV show, and he had a friend who worked at one of the big three agencies. We walked in, the guy took a meeting with us within two or three days. They they had a great conversation. I don't say much in a meeting, believe it or not, and uh, pitched the show. Guy thought it was a great idea was really on topic and needed to be made and said, let's, let's see what we can do. About five days later, my friend called me, said, you see the front page of the reporter? I said, no, I don't read that. What's up? And he said, you may want to go look at it. Call me when you do. This agent had a client who was a top showrunner that hadn't worked in five years. 
hadn't had a deal, hadn't worked anything in, in years. Front page of the reporter was this agent, not agency, this agent client who hadn't had a deal in five years, mysteriously made a deal on a show that was exactly our show. Hmm. And one thing I know when you walk into a studio, a network, a pitch meeting is, and I talk about it in my book, always have an arsenal of material because you can literally get your pitch out, your log line out, and they'll stop you and say, stop right there. We have something in development. Don't go there. I don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had that happen a hundred times in a meeting. And the meeting was about an hour long, went through it, gave them documents, gave them, you know, our, our Bible and everything. And this guy's client made a deal with this agent to a major network on the show. I find that curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what was interesting is I, I knew personally somebody who was involved in the show and stayed in loose touch with him while it was being produced. They actually shot the pilot. It never aired. Mm. It never aired. So apparently it wasn't that good, but <laughs> it, got, it got that far. So, you know, those are the kind of things I've dealt with in life. Um, and, and I've always been one of those guys that, you know, you go to Vegas and the, and the dealer hands you a, a shitty hand. You can't say, hang on, take those back. Let's do this over. You have to play the hand you're dealt. And I'm a forward thinking guy. Um, I don't let things weigh me down or stop my momentum. And I just, okay, next, let's just go on. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's life. And you, you learn. I mean, that's the, the, I mean, that's the, the, the kind of the silver lining to a crappy situation is that like creators like us, they, you know, all right, you stole this idea and that sucks and whatever, but you know what? I'll think of a hundred ideas that are good, you know? So it's like, it, it should never come to that obviously, but I think- that is a, unfortunately, the silver lining to yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I'm a firm believer that you're going to get one yes for every hundred no's. Mm-hmm. You're going to get one. Collect five yeses and one may have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just our business. It's a very tough industry. It's it's hard to get things made, um, especially when you're relying on other people and other entities to all kind of capture the vision or want to, you know, jump in and, and devote their time and energy to something. So. Knowing that going in, you, you know, I tend to stockpile ideas and, and I, I just, I've learned a long time ago not to fall in love and get too emotionally attached to things because they could be ripped away from you. They could be starting to develop and then fall out for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That's, and, that's kind yeah, of the point where our, our pessimism pays off because uh, <laughs> I expect the worst. Yeah, always. And so, <laughs> what's, you know, my favorite saying is hope for the best, prepare for the worst, but expect the unexpected, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of how it is. Yeah. 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 I, I think there's there's such a I don't know, there's such a fine line, right, between becoming too pessimist pessimistic. Obviously, you want to be positive and, and okay, this can be great and what a great opportunity. Um, but I think it's one of the things that I've seen a lot when it I've watched films on Netflix and all type all types of platforms. And then wondered, well, what happened to this filmmaker? You know, I want to see what else they did. And then that winds up being the only thing they did. And then I find an article somewhere where they learned the hard way what the business really is like. And they went in kind of optimistic and fresh faced and kind of got, you know, high fived in in the crown with what was really happening. And then it turned them off to the business completely because they just weren't ready for that. And so 
I, I, uh, I have friends that, that sort of are like, geez, can you try to be positive about stuff? Because they love to go like, Hey, maybe the right person will be sitting in that film fest and they're going to give you a bunch of money. And I'm like, that's not really how it works, but that's fine. I mean, I know that that does happen. Um, but it's like, I, so many, uh, up and coming filmmakers or people that are looking to get into it that when we talk to them, um, I try to explain like, look, anything's possible, right? It's not impossible yep. that the right person is sitting at a film fest, but it's likely not going to be the film fest that you're at in your hometown of a thousand, you know, it's bigger film fest that they're at and anything's possible. But if you're, if you're, if your success is banking on whether you make it, you know, to the top, what are you really doing this for? Yeah. You know, I mean, I would love, That's the big thing, I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to turn away success. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we just like making films. And the fact that we make a film, we finish a film and we're like, it's done. Great. We put it in the fest. We do the next film. We just yep. like filmmaking. And so the journey is the destination sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Would I love to be successful at this and be able to actually pay our bills? Absolutely. But if yeah. that never happens, I'm still making films. I no, guess. I think that's the right approach. I think uh, my biggest frustration is when, when people go into it, they they're so worried about Sundance they're so worried about yeah. Toronto mm -hmm. they're so worried about you know Tribeca or South now South by Southwest is all the rage and you know I I think anytime somebody gets into something and expects this to be their outlet and this is how it's going to go I've, I've learned this industry never the path never goes as planned Mm -hmm. And yes, there are those lightning in a bottle moments and those super lotto winners. And I think Hollywood needs their super lotto winners to keep the keep the uh, supply vast, mm -hmm. if you will. If nobody was making it out of obscurity and becoming the next whoever or great filmmaker, I think the people's hopes and dreams would start to diminish a little bit. And we, we can't have that. It's a business. And but for the common folk like me and you, um, we have to just put our heads down, work hard and realize nothing's going to be handed to you. And, you know, I'm a firm believer. If you, if you hit the door enough times with the bat, eventually it's going to come off the hinges, but hopefully you don't break the bat first. And, yeah. you know, and that's what you're doing is right because you never know who's going to be at that festival. You never know who's going to see that clip that you guys did that people are going to be impressed by. And, you know, for me, when, when it comes to festivals or screenwriting competitions, as artists, as filmmakers and writers, especially, we're, we're so needing validity. We're so needing right. the, the encouragement and the love. It keeps us going. You know, it's like you can play the worst golf game of your life and you can just have that one great hole and that gets you coming back for another 18 rounds the next week. And um, I think filmmaking and writing is that. I think if, if you get those little glances, glimmers of hope that it's, it's amazing um, what, what that does to us. And, you know, where I get frustrated or sad for so many filmmakers is it's all about this festival or that. And mm -hmm. this is how my journey is going to go. And it, it doesn't work that way for 99.9%. Mm -hmm. But work hard, um, you know, and, and do your best and learn from everything you do and move on and better yourself with every step. Eventually, I think if you stay at it long enough. And you just you finally get that one project that turns some heads or makes some noise. You're going to, you know, Hollywood proper can come running and say, hey, I, I like what you did here. Let's sign you to a five picture deal with a studio and uh, go do. You know? Yeah. So where are where what is the likelihood of your film or your short being on YouTube 
and having the right person see that? Well, it depends. Do you have people to email it to so they can see it? <laughs> We're antisocial, so no. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, well, that goes that goes to his point earlier. You take people like uh, like Fetty Alvarez, right? I mean, it's a perfect example of you know something that you would put online, people see it, and now you got a big picture deal. And I think, you know, um, you know, he is a good filmmaker. It's not like he was just some random person that posted a mm-hmm. viral video of something. So sure, sure. it's that whole like uh opportunity meets preparedness whatever you know yeah. or, or yeah. lucky preparedness equals opportunity and and so yeah i think i see i'm a firm believer in that the cream will rise to the crop eventually or to the top and yeah. so like if yeah. you just keep making good stuff eventually you'll get noticed but sometimes there's those those moments yeah. you have when you're just like why am i doing this there's oh i think and, and, that every day i wake up yeah <laughs> and not that and not necessarily that you want to quit but sometimes you feel like you know it just feels like you're so far from where you want to be and then you have moments where you're like wow this is like it's happening well, see, you I know think, so it's i like, think our our biggest problem that we always say is that we're we're really fickle in that we just like creating yeah, right. Sure. So we since we we pretty much fund like we'll do maybe a Kickstarter, we'll get a little bit of money, but we put the rest in ourselves. I, I never set. Uh, it drives me crazy when I see somebody making their first film and they're asking for fifty thousand dollars. And I'm like, what the hell have you done? You haven't done anything. Why would anyone give you fifty thousand dollars? <laughs> like you have to be realistic about things. Sure. And so we always set a budget that. If we we don't get the money, we know we can put the rest in without losing our house. And so that's that's how that's how I set them. And so, of course, I have to write that I have to limit our locations because I'm not going to be able to film in a huge mansion or a giant, you know, whatever. I have to film where I can. And so that's how I write. But, you know, you you see people sort of um, they, they put all their eggs in one basket and it's more about the fame. And we've been doing this for well over a decade. And. For me, that like when someone says, like, uh, like how how do you gauge your success? It's in growth. When I look at stuff that we made seven years ago, I'm like, that looks awful. Yeah, you you cringe. I cringe when I look at stuff I did six weeks ago. So don't yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do that with every production, but but I, I love being able Bro. to say that because it means that I can see oh that looks like shit. And at the time we didn't know. At the time we thought that looked great. Mm-hmm. Um because you know uh, you know, whatever we were filming on at the time. And, you know, then you get a better camera and not that that's always what it's about, but it's like, learn. you know, that that's our thing is always learning how to use what you have to your best ability. You don't have mm-hmm. to have a $15,000 camera. You could do this on a $3,000 camera, but do you have the right lenses? Do you know about lighting? Are you studying cinematography? And, you know, I think you had also had something about like the, uh, the five, things that that will yeah yeah it was fine that that'll take you out and when i read that i was like "Ah, we say that all the time we've sat in film festivals and gone this is after you realize it yeah this is a good (laughs) story but it sounds like shit and i don't care what's happening in it because this audio is so tinny and it's so bad and why is that window blown out like that (laughs) you know And so, you know, and it's not even a, a creative artsy cool blowout right. like uh, that Spielberg uh, DP. I can never pronounce his name. You shot Jerry Maguire in Jurassic Park, and that guy is the king of blowing out windows, but it's done right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you're so right. And yeah, it's, for those listening that care, there, and obviously, story is important. Let's just, I'm talking about the physical elements of the film, not right. the, not the nuts and bolts of mm-hmm. the story. 
But the, the five most important things in no particular order is to me is your cast. Um, don't hire your aunt, your uncle, and your brother, and your mom and dad to star in your movie. That's like <laughs> the big no-no. Um, so your cast, your cinematography, your camera work, your sound is is equally as important. Um, and your next is your locations. That's key. Everybody can just shoot in their house or in their backyard. I mean, take us someplace we want to go. Take us someplace mm-hmm. we haven't been. Take us someplace we didn't know existed. Um, and then the other one, which is always the one that seems to fall by the wayside in these, these indie films, especially the, the ones with the up and coming film, is the editing. And I, I realized this when I, when I was helping somebody consult on a film, they had, they had spent about $800,000, $900,000 on a film, and they, they got a, an Academy Award nominated actor to star in it. The acting was unbelievable. The cinematography was, was really good. Mm. The sound quality was fine. The locations were impressive. And the editing was some of the worst cutting I had ever seen in my life. And I asked, I, I said, why, why did the wheels come off the wagon in editorial? And it was like, we couldn't afford an editor. We put it all on the screen. I said, well, that's the problem. The screen is not cut well. Yeah. And she was telling me about, well, the editor's this and the editor's that. I said, well, wait a minute. I've been cutting for 105 years. I carry a, a local 700 card. Um, I know 100 guys that, that are far beyond my talent in cutting that moonlight and do all sorts of cool, quirky stuff. What what did you what did you pay for your rap party? And that always gets them to stop. And well, the rap party was a big thing. I was like, what did you spend? Well, we spent about seventy five hundred bucks in the rap party. I said, wow, you know, you could have gotten an editor mm-hmm. to at least assemble or do a cleanup on your film for half of that. And what what does the rap party do? Gives exactly. You yeah. And it's it's so I always put those five things in. You know, your 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 actors, your camera, your sound, your locations, and your editor. I think if you put if you really focus on getting those five things right, you're going to at least have something that's good to look at, good to hear, um, and hopefully will at least put you on a level of watchability. Mm-hmm. Again, there's good movies, bad movies. That's a whole different bottle of wine, as they say. But those are the five things to me that when you're making the film, the physical aspect of the film that really need not to be cut corners. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and, and yeah, and, and, you know, Bouncing off the location thing, I think production design is so, so important, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's one of the things I kind of learned early on that I was like, oh, you really need to pay attention to this, you know, what colors you have on screen and what, what they're saying and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and you can see, and, and that sort of stuff is so that's always your first inexpensive thing. in, in regards start, to uh, yeah. casting people and you're like no polka dots no stripes don't no, give me horizontal no, stripes i don't i don't, I don't no want thin lines don't. please <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah that, all that stuff is 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 so unbelievably important and it you know depending on it doesn't in the context of making your film it doesn't cost a lot to learn how to make, to light a film even if you're working with Home Depot lights or whatever, if you know, which we did at one point, <laughs> yeah, if you know how right it works and your and your ratios and how to make the loft, the light softer or harder and what that's saying about your film, all that stuff is free. You can just look it up. And yeah, it, yeah, and and you know, I, I I'm working right now. We're we're working with uh, a guy who shot three Best Picture Oscars as a cinematographer. He shot three of them. He is an A-lister, and he read a script that we're going to be doing, and he said, yeah, it's all available light. I don't even need a fucking light truck. He mm-hmm. said, just get me just get me the two actors and a camera, and let's go make this movie. And there you go. There's a guy who shot three Oscar-winning movies. Uh, he, is, he is a regular call for two Academy Award-winning directors, and this guy knows his stuff, and, and, and that's like the least of his concern. 
just he, he's like, yeah, I don't even care if you have a dirt truck. Just get me a freaking shiny board and it'll fill. Mm. If I need it tonight. I'll, I'll make it work. Yeah. yeah. You know your craft, and there's a lot of there's a lot of cats out there that don't have his resume that are confident. You know, I've been fortunate to, to work with guys like Joel Oilgan, who's my go-to DP. Um, he's he's so good. Austin Harris with Available Light, Matthias Schubert. These guys. They don't care about the grip truck. They just they just want to tell a good story. Their framing's good. They know. I think with camera, more than lighting, it's not for me the lighting as much as the lens selection. Yes. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. can tear lighting apart all day long. Yep. Everybody thinks, oh, it's the lighting. It, yeah, you want to see it, but you know what? It, we're so used to seeing stuff in real world that's not lit. It's, for me, it's lens selection because people forget the lens that you select for a, a given moment scene cutaway coverage close up far if the wrong lens is on it it completely pulls you out of it and the common audience that doesn't know filmmaking doesn't understand why but something doesn't feel right right, right. and you can you can drive a, a a moment home with the right lens with the right camera move or a slow creep on a dolly or a, you know nowadays it's sliders god forbid but <laughs> it's, it's and i love sliders but you get what i'm saying it's, it's just find somebody who knows their craft who's going to tell the story and understands lighting, lenses, composition, and framing. If, if they can do that, they're light years ahead of most of these films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think yeah. that's one of the biggest problems with, um, with uh, up-and-coming filmmakers or people that are looking to sort of dip their toe into it is that they don't realize that it's as technical as it is. They look at it as I want to be the next Tarantino. I just want to have, I want to have that clout and I want to have that control and I want to be a director and I want to be called a director, but you know nothing about what your DP is doing. You know nothing about lenses. So you don't even know if your DP is really good because you don't even know what to look out for. So you're just Mm -hmm. taking it at face value. And, you know, um, when when people try to make a an uh, an impressive package and it's like, well, I have a seven thousand dollar light kit, but you don't know how to light. So why did you spend you seven grand on that? Like yeah. you should have put that money into something else, into you know making a bunch of shorts and learning the hard way. That not everything you make, I'll say not everything, like not everything we make is stuff that we intend to put in a film fest. Sometimes we just like to film skits to just throw up and practice and go, wow. We're never filming in that room again because that was a disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I tell you, my first film that I that I directed, I took a long time to get into the director's seat. And I, I, there's something I never wanted to do. And you may have listeners that say, well, he should have listened to his own part and not done it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, hey, I, uh, I, I just love making movies. Yeah. I, don't, I don't make them to please people. Um, yeah. If my stuff gets out and it makes a noise, it makes a dent, so be it. I, I don't make movies to impress or to turn the world on its ear. I, mm. I know I'm never going to be a Tarantino or, or a Christopher Nolan. Those guys are in a world of their own. I'm a guy who comes up with an idea and likes to deliver it, and people either get it or they don't. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Um, so I I always say that. I don't go into this like ever in, in my book. I never say this is a tutorial on how to direct or edit or shoot or light or write. I am not the guy to teach you how to do that. Um, I can tell you how to get a movie made, but um, I can tell you how to work hard and see that you cross the finish line. Um, but my point is, is I remember Adam Kane, who has gone on to light the world on fire. He's one of the most in-demand directors on television. Uh, his last show with Prodigal Son with Michael Sheehan for Fox. Adam uh, and I have been friends for 30 years, and he he came up as a cinematographer. He was unbelievable. I mean, star student at NYU, star student at AFI. And um, Adam was going to shoot my first film that I directed, and 
we were sitting at coffee in Starbucks in, in Hollywood. And, and I said, so what do you want to shoot it on? And he said, dude, I don't care. Get a Fisher price camera. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and and it, it's exactly what you guys said. It doesn't matter. Just make the movie. Mm-hmm. And Adam was kidding, but he didn't care. And thank God, cannabis and stuff. I'm like, oh, you're working with Adam Kane? Why don't you just take everything we have? It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ironically, Adam called me three weeks before the shoot and said, brother, I just got this pilot. Seems like it's going to do okay. Uh, I'm being offered to shoot the pilot. And there's a long-term thing here. It's called Grey's Anatomy. Uh-huh. You push your film a couple of weeks or... I said, Adam, I can't go do it. And I love you. And we'll work together again. And uh, obviously he, he where did that show ever go? (laughs) Yeah. It's like gone out as long as Bonanza. But and Adam just actually produced break even with us. Uh, It's the first time we've worked together since um, God, no code of conduct in 97, which he shot for me. Um, But my point is, is the greats don't care. Like mm-hmm. I talked about the other DP, I just talked about Barry Marker, which is his name of anybody who wants to look that up. And Barry was like, I, I don't need any. He did just all available light, babe. Just get me a camera in your actors and we'll freaking make it work. You know, that's Barry. <laughs> that's Adam. That's the greats. And, you know, as I say in the book, going back to it, I know you guys want to cover other stuff, but when you bring up a cinematographer, I say this to upcoming filmmakers, everybody's cinematography reel is the best three second clips that they could muster up in the right. movie they're not making a reel they're making a movie what i always encourage filmmakers to do is see raw reels and unfortunately mm-hmm. we shoot on cards everybody wipes them every day so the footage is often lost or it goes into an abyss of you know ownership for somebody else i always if i'm working with a new dp and i can't see their movies or i can't really get familiar with their work i call directors and i call editors they've worked with and i say hey you cut this guy's film how many takes and how many of those takes were because of camera screw ups? What was it like cutting this operator or this DP's work? Were you tearing out your hair? Were you pulling out teeth? Were you literally fighting for frames to get a shot to work? Or was this, was this operator or DP make your life easier as a cutter or as a director? And I learned so much. I don't even sometimes need to look at a reel because I, I, I know what I want. I know we're going to get it done. For me, it's about what, what was this person's work like to deal with in post? That's everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, one of the uh, one of the issues that I try, you know, dealt with early on in my career was like I wanted every single shot I I was shooting to look like it could be the poster shot, mm. you know. So you want every moment, every shot to be beautiful and and but it's like the shot and the and the lighting and all that stuff has to tell that story, and so you don't need to overlight things, you know. So I was always overlighting it and keep you know and in in. Light, lighting the film as if it were my reel versus telling that story. You know what I mean? Yep. And so yep. I feel like a lot of like beginners, you know, kind of get into that, that wormhole yeah. and, and it's hard to, you know, even, even today it's hard to like balance that. Like I want the shot to look pretty obviously, but then, you know, what is this, what is this, what is, what is this lighting telling me about the story? That sort of thing. You know, you know, what's interesting and in I, I, I'm only saying these examples to help your listeners understand how right you are um i'm working with frank reynolds right now an academy award uh, he cut the academy award nominated film for best picture in the bedroom frank mm-hmm. is a brilliant editor he grew up with adam kane through afi and nyu that's kind of our connection and frank god bless him is helping me finish uh break even because i start another film in august and I'm, I'm really under the gun for time so he's taking the assembly and running with it and doing a phenomenal job and, and he lives in new york and he's from that indie New York 
Beckler. That's Frank's a New Yorker. And uh, he, he'll he put cuts in. And I'll see, hey, you know, folks, it's like, Shane, it's a brilliant take. Your actor is, you know, we worked with Don Olivieri and Matthew Lawrence. It's like, my God, look at Don's performance. And I'm like, yeah, the camera's a little soft. He goes, all right, go watch In the Bedroom. I want you to watch the most important scene in the film when William Mathaper kills Emil Hirsch. Hmm. Watch that scene and talk to me about focus and you hang up the phone. I'd go watch it. I call the shit and things out. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite movies of all time, Rain Man. Yeah. The scene when uh, Tom Cruise and I forget the actress's name are making love and in the hotel and, and Dustin Hoffman in front and in, in, yeah. on the yeah. bed walks in. She gets up gets dressed, leaves. They they film this thing handheld in this tight little hallway that yeah. I don't think you can put a rat in. And you've got Tom, you've got Dustin in the back, and you've got this actress and all this business. I watched the film about two weeks ago. I paused it and wound it. My wife hates when I do that. She's like, oh, he saw a boom mic. He saw something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, every other shot in this scene is out of focus, out of, out of frame, it is so poorly shot, but my God, these performances and what they got in these moments. And it's just that reminder. When you think about some of these great movies, like my father, God love him. He always goes back to the film that just changed his life as a filmmaker. And it's a man and a woman. Watch a man and a woman. It's color. It's black and white. It's purple. It's orange. The guy was shooting with his damn short ends and they left him in his trunk and the sun bleached him. Oh, it's a great movie. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's yeah. one of the worst shot. You know, it's, I don't want to say it's worst shot. There's some incredibles, but it's it. when you look at the colors, you look at the, the continuity, it's a train wreck. But yeah. my God, what a great movie. Not all of them can look like Chariots of Fire or the Black Stallion. You know what right, I mean? Right. So yeah, I, I agree. It's, with it's, it's that fine line too of um, do you know doing the best that you possibly can, but not becoming obsessed with the mistakes because they're they're bound to happen. And so 100%. I can forgive. You know, it happens to the best of us. And and we often, you know, we're we're watching everything, you know, with a hawk eye, and we're finding everything wrong that we've done. We go through our oh, scenes. Yeah. If we're sitting in a film festival. We're like, here it comes it's coming up. Hate this fucking scene. Jesus Christ, what happened here? But the audience. Nine out of 10 times has no idea. They're not seeing the fact that I should have been standing more to the left in that scene. And what happened with that tree overhead and what's going on with this and that stupid. And then there's a, a boom mic that dipped here. or We left the tag or the sticker on the bottom of the bottle. Or so, you know, these are things that yeah. we are nitpicking and ripping ourselves apart for. But there's also the positive to that. And is that that you that you see those mistakes because sometimes, yeah. you know, it's um, was it uh, in in. Uh, whiplash when he uh. says you were actually out of tune he just didn't know it and that's worse yeah and and so yeah. you know it's it's right. when you now. don't see that when somebody makes a film and you know they're like oh hey what'd you think and inside i'm like oh my god do they not know that you know like so if you don't <laughs> know it i i'm i'm not going to be the one to say it to you i guess because you don't want to hear that and <laughs> sure, um we sure. we often say that when we're fine with criticism you know, this is the worst business to it's be in my, if you can't take criticism, my, yeah. but but be constructive about it. If I show you my film, don't just say, I didn't like it. Yeah, Why? What didn't you like, about it? Didn't you like about it? Yeah. Was it the yeah. writing? Was it my performance? Was it his directing, his editing, his cinematography? Because he has to do or, all of it. Or worse, my favorite is, was it the big holes in the story because the distributor demanded it was 90 minutes and it was really an hour <laughs> and 12 yeah. or an hour and 50. Right. And I took out nine scenes because they made me. And exactly. It's, it's, and you've got these gaping holes in the story. I mean, that's part of it that that happens a lot too, where yeah. 
people walk away and they go, well, I didn't understand this, or you had a hole in the story. I'm like, well, let me share the deleted scenes, you know, right. or that or make a deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. And I think, I think if you can look at your work going back and realize, Hey, you know, I, I maybe am not framing the best I can, or I need a better guy in camera or a better sound or I need not to get my aunt and uncle and cousin Ruth to, to be actors in my movie. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that I really push going back to the actor thing, if, if I may, um, actors, uh, young filmmakers are afraid to get good actors. Uh, they don't think they can get them. They don't think they're obtainable. Um, there are a lot of boutique agencies that want to partner with up and coming filmmakers that have good, stable of talent. On top of that, if you're really concerned about reaching out and putting offers out. I, I say this to these up and coming filmmakers all the time. And I'm, I'm telling your listeners, call local um, theaters or call local acting classes hmm. and tell the, 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 the teachers or the, the owners of these places, this is what I'm doing is what I'm looking for. And they will, they will send you some really good actors that are at least serious about the craft. They may not be making their living as actors, but right. they at least aren't your neighbor or your cousin. Yeah. And I've just seen some great opportunities. You know, the ship sinks when somebody who doesn't know their craft is just reciting lines that they hopefully memorized enough to get through. And, and you see it time and time again, and it goes, it goes everywhere. And, and it's so important. And that's something you learn early on as a filmmaker, hopefully, like improving your camera or your sound or your lighting or your editing. And, um, you know, we all have to remember art is nothing but opinion. Um, it, it's important that people don't hinder their progress or their, their moving, uh, I guess that's progress. <laughs> they don't hinder their growth. They don't, and, and when they do something, look back at it and say, okay, I need never to do this again yes. or this work. I need to incorporate more of that in my work. That seems to work good. Yeah. Yeah. And on the, on the acting front, I feel like, First of all, there's no, depending on where you live, obviously, there, you know, where we live, we're lucky enough that we're close enough to the city. We never have a problem finding people that we feel are talented enough for the script or, you know, that are talented enough for us to work with, whatever. But I feel like, you know, getting people that are good at their craft, a lot of times, I know this because I'll do this with my, with, with, with what I do in that, like, if you, if somebody sees that you're honest and genuine and you're, in on this project they're so willing to work with you because they feel you'd, that you'd, you know you'd be amazed i've gotten uh, i've been very fortunate to work with some great talent and you know um that could be jane seymour it could be you know Dwayne. uh gary Busey actually taught me more about working with actors and how to he, he was in the first film I ever directed, so I cut my teeth on Gary Busey. So I, I figured if I get through that, I could do anything. <laughs> um, and I love Gary. I owe a big chunk of my career to Gary. He uh, intercepted a script that was meant for his son, Jake. And um, I got a phone call on Easter Sunday in 2000, 2002. Uh, and this is Shane Stanley. Goes, yes, it is. It is Gary Busey. And uh, I said, how are you, sir? He said, I understand that you have a script that you're trying to get to my son. He's in Miami, Florida, shooting a pilot for NBC. That's not happening. I said, oh, okay. Well, thanks for telling me. He said, hold on, not so fast. <laughs> and uh, I read your script. Who's playing the role of Earl Cooper? And I said, well, I've got this. He said, uh, let me cut to the chase. I've done 42 films. This role is something I've never had the opportunity or the pleasure to play. And if you will have me, you tell me where and when and I'll be there. And that's how I got Gary to do my first film. And he's an Academy Award nominated actor. 
And he, all he did is a friend of mine knew Jake and kind of knew Gary and was like, let me get the dad, the script to get to Jake. And he intercepted it. And yeah. Gary, um, demanded that I work with him. Uh, he was in two scenes and it was kind of like the Robert DeBall and sling blade thing. Yeah. And, um, he was in two, two scenes and he had me up in his house three days a week for two months, grilling me, beating me up, talking to me about the backstory of the character. What I learned working with Gary is he goes, you know, you guys are so myopic. You care about fade into the end. He said, that's not what it's about. He said, what, what I care about is Earl Cooper's journey. He's 63 years old in the script or 58 years old in the script. What, what happened the first 57 years? Where is he going? Let's break that down. Gary and I spent two weeks talking about Earl Cooper's first 57 years of life before we even talked about the script mm. and how he beat me into being a better leader, how he never called me out in front of my crew but pulled me aside like a coach in football. And, you know, Tom Brady even gets the arm around, you know, Bruce Arians or then Bill Belichick and would be told what he needs to do to adjust to be better. Mm-hmm. And Gary was the only actor I ever worked with that did that. I, I, and again, I say that to encourage people to reach out and dig deep when it comes to finding talent. You never know where it's going to come. So um, the one thing I wanted to ask you, because uh, we're often, the question we often get is, when are you guys going to make a feature? We always make shorts. We've been making shorts for ever 14 years that we've been together. Um, wow. And we, I mean, for us, it's, it's more time, you know, features take yeah. longer. They take more, you know, they cost more money. And then, and then somebody says to you, well, if you have the time to make the short, it's just a little bit more time to make the feature. And so, I mean, I, you know, I have two feature scripts that I wrote. I, I write stuff just, because I have to, and I don't say it like in this pretentious, like, I have to write. It's just, I will get an idea and it will annoy the shit out of me until I write it. And then I write the script. I'm like, I'm not even filming you. Fine. Have fun sitting in Dropbox for the next four years. But there, (laughs) I wrote it, you know? And, but, you know, then when we decide to make a short, that's what I do. I filter through the freaking 35 or 40 scripts that I've written over the years. And then I go like, is it this one? No, is it this one? No, is it this one? I read everything over. Not in the mood for this. Um, and everyone says you got to make a feature. Stop making shorts. No one's going to recognize anything if you do a short. You got to do a feature. Is that really true? Because I've seen so many things that were initially uh, fe- uh, shorts that were then adapted into features. Well, if you want to look at Whiplash, you brought that up earlier. Right, um, right. Or lights out, like, even yeah. lights well, out. Yeah. Well, some of my favorite shorts that turned into better features is you have Whiplash, you have Saw, you have a Napoleon Dynamite, mm-hmm. you have Sling Blade, which was some people call the Sickle Blade. Um, you can see them all on YouTube, which is really cool. Um, what what I what I say is um, the amount of time and attention, and the one thing I really really hammer home in my book is pre production is everything. Um, mm-hmm. We've never had a problem shooting the film because we over prepare. And I don't care if I'm shooting a, a commercial that's going to be on TV for 30 seconds or a 90 minute, you know, 90 minutes that somebody's going to be begging for back on their deathbed. Um, I, <laughs> I uh, know the time and energy it goes into you. You have to get a cast. You have to get a crew. You have to get equipment. You have to get permits if that's your thing. You have to get insurance. You have to get your, your gear and your, your stuff and your wardrobes and all that fun stuff. Um, I'm a big firm believer of go big or go home. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And the way I got into doing features as a filmmaker, I mean, I've been producing feature films since the beginning of time. I mean, I even shot a few of the original dinosaurs, but 
as a filmmaker, all-encompassing filmmaker, I, I did, um, my first film was a short. Um, my second project was a spec pilot, where at the end of the day, it ended up being 42 minutes long. So that's a short. And what happened was, is I was in color on the spec pilot, and I was happy doing these short form films as an all-encompassing guy. I thought it was quicker and leaner and meaner and the way to go. I was in color on that. A guy walked by, came back in, he liked what he saw on the monitor, and um, he said, wow, that looks really cool. What was your budget? And I turned around, I said, oh, hey, thanks, man, 500. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I got one down the hall for 300, and uh, man, this looks a lot better in mine. And the colors turned around and he looked at him. He said, dude, the guy spent 500 bucks on his movie. The guy <laughs> met 300 grand in right. the hall. So he said, wow. And he came in and sat in for a few minutes, gave me his card and said, call me, I fund films. And um, I reached out to him a few weeks later. We had breakfast and he agreed to give, he, he, he said, you know, what's the story? I told him. And he said, so what are you doing with it? I said, ah, it's a spec. And he goes, well, how much did you, you really spent $500 on the 45 minutes? And I said, yeah. And he said, so if I give you $1,000, you can make a movie, right? And I said, no. And he, he ended up giving me like 10, 15 grand and we made my first full length feature. Nice. And I realized doing that immediately was just as painstaking, taxing and nerve wracking as the other one. Mm. And um, I never looked back. That was just kind of, I was like, well, this, uh, I'm putting in the same time and energy. Okay, it's longer days more to do sometimes a bigger past and more locations but you're here anyway you might as well just do it so i encourage people to make as many short films as they can but i think if you really want to i think you can really learn a lot more in doing a, a full-length film because it's it's uh, i i you know i think shorts are the hardest things to do and really tell a story in a short period of time yeah. Yeah. 20 minutes but try try that 90 minutes, you know, can can people get past your second and third act? Mm -hmm. Can you hold an audience for 90 minutes? Can you get a distribution deal? Maybe that's what's, you know, you you guys humbly and graciously have talked about where your films end up. And it's more about the love of the game than, than the size of the arena. Maybe what's stopping that next step for you is the fact that you don't have a full length feature. Yeah. yeah, That could be it. I mean, you just never know. I, I encourage people to never let dollars get in the way of their goals and their dreams. There's a way. There's always a way. It's how much time are you willing to put into it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's ironic too, because I don't really care. You know, we obviously don't care about adulation. We wouldn't be doing it for this long if we cared about all that stuff. But at the same time, in my brain, there's this part that I can't help but think like, well, it's not, are we ready for a feature? We can make a feature physically and, you know, we, we could, Good. we could do it, but it's just like, okay, but then what, what is that? What's the end goal of that? You know, am I making a feature because I want to tell the story or, and, and am I making this feature because there's so much more involved and so much more money out of our pocket? Sure. Are the stakes higher? And do I need to then think about, all right, well, this is, we're going to try to get, we're actually going to go after a distribution deal with this, let's say, mm. whatever, whatever it is, whatever the goal sure, is. Sure. Um, and for some reason, I automatically add those stakes to it. Uh -huh. You know, whereas whereas with a normal short film, I'm just like, oh, we'll make it and we'll throw it in fest and then we'll move on to the next one. But when it <laughs> but, comes but to a feature, it's like, the I know feature. there's just, it's weird. It's weird. And I, I, I and I, I, and I, I know we, and I know we will, you know, we're, you I know. hope you do. And, and, and I'm not taking anything away from your mindset of what you do. I think it's great. God bless you. You're out there doing it. That's all I, that's all I try to tell people in this stupid thing is my book is just stop talking about it and go 
do it. Yeah. We got that you part down. <laughs> What's that? We got that part down. Now we just need to tell. extend it. I, that's one reason I was really excited to talk with you guys because I, I listen to more people tell me about all these movies they want to make. And mm-hmm. I always say, so what's stopping? Well, I need the money and the da, 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 da. No, you don't. Then don't make that one. Make another one. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. Know, I, I, I have projects I want to do. And somebody says, I want to make a movie with you. I'll finance it. My question is, okay, great. How much do I have to play with? And then I go on and say, can I make this next one that I really want to do for that right. much? No, I can't. Then what, what else do we got that we can go do? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the people have missed out on such great opportunity and growth and e- exposure because they set these, these bogus bullshit budgets. I mean, they got to look at some of these budgets people do for these movies that can be made for 20 bucks. Yeah. And they got five million, three million, two million. I'm like, you, you, no offense, you, you work as an insurance salesman. You've never made a short, mm-hmm. and you're banging the drum for five million bucks. Pull your mm-hmm. head out of your ass, man, yeah. and go make something. So somebody can at least say, what am I going to get? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I'm not talking about you guys because you're doing it. I'm sure you've got a ton of shorts where if somebody. Yeah, and I don't sell something. insurance, so. <laughs> well, that's good, <laughs> but. Um, but my point is, is that I, I, I get really bummed out when, when I see the passion getting snuffed out with the, the, the box people put themselves in. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have to one day decide, are we going to throw caution to the wind and spend a little extra on this credit card and try to hold these actors and crew for an extra week? I mean, yeah. I shot my first feature in 12 days. It was 93 pages. And we zipped through it. We had a great cast and, and a great group of people and locations and um, we shot it out in like 12, 13 days, I think. I think, actually, forgive me, I think principal was 10 and we did two two days of just second unit. Yeah. Um, and we got through it and Sean Young jumped in and Sean Kanan and, and uh, Marlon Young, who's in everything, and Ron Masak, Courtney Gaines, everybody just, and Betsy Russell from Saw, everybody just came to play and have fun. Yeah. yeah. That's and, it. But that's my other fear is that I'll make the feature and it'll be great. And now I'm oh, like, all right, now oh, I make features forever. <laughs> wait, <laughs> goes, wait, what? And then go, what? Th- that it'll go great. And it's like, well, then I got to make features forever. So now oh, there goes my bank account. Yes. Oh, well. <laughs> well, hey, if it goes great, hopefully somebody else will start writing checks. Yeah, that's yeah, what, that's, that's, that's true. About. And that comes from having the confidence and showing somebody what you can do. And, and it's baby steps. I mean, you know, I did my first, my first film with Gary Busey. Um, I was told I'd have 25 grand the day before we started rolling cameras. I was told that 25 was now five. Oh, uh, we successfully got the film done without going over budget. Um, my next one that I did, I did is the all encompassing idiot uh, was 500 bucks. We stayed on budget. The next one was 12 grand, but because it was a continuation of the spec pilot, SAG got involved and I had to defer pay everybody for the short. Yeah, right. In fact, they didn't get paid. So we lost about eight grand like that made the movie for next to nothing. Um, and then, and then it turned into 200 grand, then it turned into 400 and then 450 and five and six and seven. And then it went back down because I realized when you start getting higher up in your budgets, um, you know, you, you run a bigger risk. We're in an independent world. Uh, distribution is not what it used to be. The days of home video right. and DVD mm-hmm. sales where us indie rats were making a killing or done. So how do we protect our investor? And you find your sweet spot. You know? Yeah. And how and this is going to this is going to sound like a ridiculous question and really yeah. simplistic. But how do you find those people? Because, you know, we we've we've talked to people that were like, oh, so how did you get this funded? Oh, well, 
we didn't know anybody. Uh, all I knew, it was just a coworker of mine who happened to know Jude Law's sure. uncle. And I'm like, well, I don't know Jude Law's uncle. You, know? you so, might. Like, <laughs> right, it's true. Yeah. We can we can bacon it back. Who do I know? Yeah. But uh, to, <laughs> <laughs> to our knowledge, we don't know you anybody. Know, so it's like, how, know, where I, are I, producers? How do you get people to produce You just put films? it on YouTube. Are you not listening? <laughs> That's all you have to do. Smoke signals. Those yeah, yeah. Right? Good. I, I have found that every filmmaker is looking to meet rich people and people that are looking to invest in film. And I, I always say you're on a snipe hunt. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have found with people that, with the exception of the gentleman who happened to be walking by a colorant booth uh, who was down the hall, um, my, my finances come from relationships that have gone 20, 30 years. I, yeah. I don't meet rich people and I don't go on the, on the make and try to, try to get them to, to get into the film industry. It happens because of organic relationships mm -hmm. where you know somebody 5, 10, 15 years and they say, you know, I've watched you over the last 10 years that we've known each other. I like the way you conduct yourself. I've seen you at parties where there's drinking and things going on that anybody can dive in and be an asshole and mm -hmm. you've always maintained a good composure. You haven't embarrassed me. I'm proud that we're friends. I've watched you. My business is in good shape. I have enough money to take care of myself. How can I help you? That is how my real financing has come from is people that I've known 20, 30 years yeah. that have just, I've never asked, I've never pitched. And they've called me and said, I want to get behind what you do. I, I, I It's not about making money. It's about supporting somebody I care about. And that is what, it's mind blowing. I talked, I got a phone call from a filmmaker yesterday who had, uh, uh, he had been down a rabbit hole for a, two and a half years on a possible investment opportunity and it completely fell apart a week ago and then it turned into well you know i met this guy at jury duty and uh you know he's, he's a big dog and i'm like no 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 and it's 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 these everybody's looking for the next rich guy or girl they think is going to write a check and yeah. okay that does happen it's rare i i go back to it and everybody wants a quick fix i mean my god we are living in a time where everybody it's instant gratification mm -hmm. and it's all about what can i see now what can i get now what's in it for me and i'm gonna i'm gonna be turning 50 coming up in about two months i've been at it a long time and i have learned these things happen for one reason at least in my life it's because of deep invested relationships Mm -hmm. That's it. I don't befriend rich people to hopefully one day get them to make a movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. I remember one of my richest friends took me to dinner about six months after we became friends. And he said, don't ever ask me to invest in the film industry. I have three friends that are in it. I will never invest in it. And the first question I had for him was, and are they rich? And he said, yeah, they're some of the richest people I know. And I said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> gee, maybe it's not so bad. And I said, look, I enjoy you. I enjoy the things that you've invited me to and the things that you've allowed me to be a part of. I hope I can bring that back into your life and, and my world and, right. and invite you to things. And, and I enjoy your company. I think you're a good dude. And we didn't talk film for 18 years. Never talked film for 18 years. One day, phone rang. He said, I want to take you to dinner. We went to dinner. He needed my help. We went through. We took care of business for him and, and some things that he was looking to do. And he took me to dinner a week afterward and said, you showed me all things are possible when you're at the helm. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. nice, and then, yeah. you know, we did a film together a few years ago. So you just never know where it's yeah. going to come from. You just never know. And that's why, like, and, and I feel like that is 
focuses on kind of our weak spot and that's community building, right? Like going oh. to those festivals and meeting people and, the worst. and and not and not meeting people with <laughs> the with, honest about it. Yeah. And not meeting people like to your point, not meeting people with the expectation that something will come from this. Finding like-minded people, being able to like even if it is people that you just talk film with all the time. It's like you're getting to know these people and yeah. and you know, somebody will have a cousin that has a friend that has a brother who knows this guy and then or girl and then you know, things go and so from that always comes good stuff good kind of luck um and it's always when you go into those relationships or go into those communities not expecting anything it's genuine because yeah. then you can be genuine you can build actual friendships when you're trying to be fake to get people's attention and never last obviously so no. you know and then you know, when they tell you no where does it's like where, yeah exactly yesterday he's invested two years in this one relationship that finally fell apart because they won't fund the movie so, okay, what, are you going to go drive two hours each way to go have dinner with this guy and his wife again? Like, yeah. where is this going now? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's bullshit. And, yeah. and I've, I've heard a lot of filmmakers that, that play the banging the drum for money game, uh, good or bad over the years, a lot of them say when you meet somebody with money, it's a dance. It's a seduction. It's, it's literally like trying to, I use an old school term, is woo somebody into mm -hmm. falling in love with you. And getting excited about the romance and fantasy and making movies. And let me tell you something, it's, it's, it's a Rob Zombie nightmare from day one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we keep coming back for more. Um, but what, what I like, what, what, where I feel fortunate is I have been fortunate in my surroundings to meet people that are genuine, that are good-hearted people that I've, I've never gone out and said, I need your money or I, I want. And yeah. it's come organically and everybody, and where I was going earlier and I got sidetracked, everybody is so into it now. They are not willing to invest in themselves. They're not willing mm -hmm. to take the time and get to generally know someone or allow themselves to be available for things that take time. It is a building process. I, as I said, I'm getting to the half century mark really quick on the odometer. And I look back, it went by in a breeze. I wouldn't have changed anything. I am where I am for, for whatever reason. I'm very fortunate. But nothing happened quick and nothing happened when you force it. You really have to take your time. And so I realize it's, it's, a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Keep yourself well-versed in the industry. Work at different jobs. You never know. I, I To this day, I'll get a phone call and someone say, hey, we need a camera operator for, for a, a show. Somebody dropped out or somebody got sick. And if I'm available, I say, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and why? Because it gets me out of here and it allows me to meet and work and circulate with new people, keeps me kind of in the loop of what's going on. And you never know an actor you may meet on the show that you hit it off with that says, yeah, dude, I'd love to work with you, man. Screw my agent. Here's my number. Call me sometime. I've, I've gotten a lot of casts that way just because I went and, you know, worked B camera on a show. Yeah. And, yeah. and I encourage people sitting home, waiting for the phone to ring or for the text mm -hmm. messages to go off. Or now I guess everybody networks on Instagram's private messaging. It seems to be where everybody thinks they're going to get their script read. I, I, that ain't how to get it done. Go out, get your hands dirty, get blisters on your feet and dig ditches and say, hey, you need an extra grip for your show. I'm not working this week. Let me help you. And mm -hmm. be willing to pack your own lunch and go do it because you never know who's going to be on the set. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, so true. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, for us, it's hard. You know, we're we're ever the the pretentious artist, I guess you can call it. In that, like, we hate like selling ourselves. It's that whole going to the film festival. Hey, watch my film; it's amazing. Like, I can't do that. I, can't, I just can't because first, it's not amazing. We all know it. 
no, I'm sure it is. But but no, but, you know, but that's you, that's what's going on in my head. Whether the film is great or not is is up to the is up is to the our ego isn't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I it's funny. I, I, I feel like a lot of art. My point is, is I feel like a lot of artists suffer from that. And there's so many films that I've seen out there that I'm like, how is this film not a big deal? This is amazing. And then you see somebody like, how did this get a dollar? Like this is horrible. So yeah, there's no, that imbalance. Well, it, it's balls and passion. Um, yeah. You know, what's funny is every film gets made because somebody believes in it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, when I talk to, to young filmmakers or older, um, I that are living for this festival thing, going back to that, I always tell them, look, there's two kind of festivals. There are the festivals that you're going to go to that you're going to fly out of state to that's some cornfield in Iowa, and you're going to rub elbows with people that are in the exact same position mm-hmm. as you. Mm-hmm. Or you could go to Cannes and you can spend too much money and you are going to stand in a lobby and be roped off and watch Brian Grazer walk by and hope to God he wants to watch your short film. Right. And I would say to them, Brian's not there to watch your short film. He's there to promote his $200 million movie he just did with Ron Howard, right. starring Sophia Viraga or somebody. Why are you wasting your why are you emptying a bank account to do that? Yeah. Why don't you just keep your head down, keep working? There are some good festivals out there that actually watch submissions and are worth going to. There are a few out there. And I always try to encourage them to hit those and just realize what you're getting into. If they're throwing you at a Sharkies or a post office down the road from where the films are screening, and that's where you guys all meet and greet and spend $400 to get a laminate and hang out, you're probably not at a good festival. Right. Yeah. Um, if winning the festival is going to be spending $500 to get the trophy mailed to you six weeks later, you're probably not at a good festival. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's, it's become a business. I've had a lot, I've sat on quite a few boards of film festivals over the years, and I've been asked to help start film festivals, and it's always a business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not about, the art it's not it's all about let's let's prey on these people's hopes and dreams exactly how much money it's only 65 dollars to enter everybody will do it and it's like god no it's not what it's about yeah yeah and that's so crazy to say that we've talked about that so many times the the film fest thing and you know we enter them and and you know through the years you, you you get to learn which ones are a little more genuine than the others mm-hmm. and and you can have a good time at this year was obviously particular particularly yeah, tough. tough um but you know and, and at the end of the day it's all arbitrary anyway we've had films that have won fest festivals so a festival will say to us your film is so good it's better than all the rest and then other festivals are like i don't even want this and i don't even want to play your film it's so bad so it's like right. and there's politics involved and time slots oh, and all that big, stuff so big time i don't i yeah. never i'll i'll certainly whenever we get accepted i'm throwing that right on our poster but I don't really, I try not to hold too much weight to any of that stuff, even if, whether it's a win or a lose, you know, if we win, then yeah, mm-hmm. we'll put it up and look, we're great and whatever, but you know. Um, but like you said, it, we don't, we, like, I, I'm not, look, we're self-funding stuff. We work on micro budgets. I'm not going to spend the money on a, sub, a submission to Tribeca. Tribeca's not going to screen our film. I already know that. Why am I going to send it to Tribeca? Why am I going to send it to, um, was it like Holly Shorts? I think is another one. You know, they're, they're bigger film fests that it's like, we don't have that clout. And I'm not going to waste look, the money know, on that. I'd God rather, love, you know. Sundance, the crown jewel of them all. I have nothing against Sundance. And I, I have a chapter of the book kind of dedicated to the facts about and where I was corrected is I was being conservative and saying, last year, 13,650 films were submitted to Sundance. This is how many people are on the viewing committee. This is when they open. This is when mm. they close submissions. Do the math. Nice. We're watching 100 films a day. Somebody actually, who I know that works for the committee, said, you know, 30,000 were actually submitted that year. <laughs> <laughs> so do the math. 
who's watching the movie. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and I'm not saying that look, you get a Sundance Great Leaf Laurel on your poster, that's everything. It changes your life. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're like, you know, me who's just a guy who's digging ditches and trying to make movies. I know how that works and I don't make movies for that. I, I have people that believe in me and want to support what I do. They leave me alone to do it. And then I have people that put my stuff out and hopefully a couple of people will watch it. Um, but I always, and that's where I was saying earlier is I get really, it hurts me when, it, when every filmmakers, you know, set you visit in the indie world, they seem to be expecting this to, to win Sundance. That's why they're there. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not what it's about. Take a look around, take a deep breath, stop what you're doing look at all these people that are here supporting you that are probably not getting paid that had to bring their own lunch to be on your set to build their IMDb or their, their resume. Why don't you just take all this in? You have all these people supporting your dream and your vision. Yeah. Sundance would be great, man, but that's not why you should be here. Right. Make, yeah. it, for you. Make it for the experience and God, God will, whoops, I don't know why that just happened. Um, <laughs> God willing, uh, something good will happen. Um, but don't do it for that. That's not, that's not the be all end all. Yeah. You'll, and you'll, you'll never last and you'll end up hating it. You know? Yeah. It'll become yeah. a job to you. It's, when... But it's also, it's not a guarantee. That's what, what I try to, to, to remind people of when they get hooked on the, like the big film fest and the recognition. And it's like, you know what? There's people that have had their film in Sundance and they're not, they're not doing shit now. It does. It's not I, a guarantee to have work great. forever, you know? I'm I'm not gonna drop names. I'm not gonna <laughs> drop names. I got a phone call from an actor, and he said, "Hey, will you take a meeting with a with a director friend of mine? Um, you'll love him. He won Sundance a couple of years ago, got the Golden Arches or whatever they hand out over there." He said, I, "I really think you guys should hook up." So I hooked up with the guy, and nicest guy in the world. He he won Sundance, and he he had me meet him at a bar one night in Venice. And I got there and he was the freaking doorman. He was the bouncer. And he took, he took, like he said to this guy, I'm taking my lunch. And him and I went wow. to the alley and sat at a table under a heat lamp. I was freezing my ass off and he was pitching me stuff. And I'm like, dude, you won Sundance and you're friends with some pretty influential right. people. What's happening in your life? And this guy told me I won I had every agency putting a contract under my nose to sign me. I signed with who I signed with. And dude, I haven't gotten a phone call since it's been three years. Wow, he goes, yeah. and I, I freaking want it. And he goes, I don't know. And he goes, my movie's everywhere. It got picked up. I don't know who I pissed off. And I thought, okay, maybe he pissed somebody off, but you know, he's working with some good people. He's friends with good people and he was good people. And he wasn't the only guy. I started meeting more and more people like mm -hmm. that. And it was like, wow. Um, and, and I go back to it and say, well, well, okay, you can name how many years has American Idol or The Voice been on and how many of those people have really gone on to have a career in music. Right. I have a friend who's a finalist on one of those big shows. The guy's literally a bartender. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. He, I think he outsings anybody on the planet. So, uh, you know, um, it, it's, it works different for everybody. And again, it's, I'm not dinging the, the festival itself, but the, the, the fantasy of the, I call it the delusion of grandeur of being a filmmaker for that avenue is, is a scary one. Yeah. And then also having the delusion of thinking that you are going to actually have control of <laughs> your film and your, <laughs> and your script. Um, that's the, probably been the best thing that we've learned just having that's, guests on over the yeah. past nearly three years that we've talked to people that have been, you know, they directed some, you know, decent budgets and they were like, 
yeah, I didn't even have a say in who I could cast in this. The p- producers were like, no. And they're like, but I'd really, no, we're casting these people. He's your, here are your options and that's it. And you don't have that control. And um, I think that's going back into where you talked about having investors that you have genuine relationships with. I think you're more likely to be able to have that artistic control when someone really does believe in your work and they know you and they could say, I trust you, I trust your work. But, you know, yeah, there's the... There's the dream of getting the big producers and the millions of dollars, but you're also going to have to relinquish a lot most of the time. Maybe not every, you know, in every, I think uh, I was, we were just talking about this the other day that uh, the director for Jacob's Ladder had been, they passed on him because they didn't, they wanted to change so many things. And then he eventually, that, that cut was the cut that he wanted, but that's such a rare thing to happen. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the times you're going to have a studio saying like, <laughs> Everything you wanted here, we're not doing that. And they're paying for it. So, yeah. you know, you either go with the flow and, and you wind up kind of directing something or or doing the cinematography, or especially as a writer where it's like you don't even really matter most of the time. It's like, here, we got the story. Fuck off. <laughs> you know, like, well, I'll, I'll and, tell you guys, I'll tell you a story that uh, I, I went through is, you know, my father and I made the documentary Gridiron Gang. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to air it. Nobody cared. Um, we had, they thought we had banged the drum too many times about doing films on probated youth. We had done the Desperate Passage series, um, which, you know, it got 33 Emmy noms at one at the time, uh, 32 Emmy noms and 12, 12 statues. And um, we did Gridiron Gang. It was my father, myself, David Johnson, God rest him, and my, my mom, Linda. And we went up and shot this movie that nobody cared about. And it took two years to get it on the air. And we were at a big agency at the time and screened it for them. And they all watched it. And it's a, it's a cute little picture. We wish you luck. And, you know, my dad went to the projectionist with his tail between his legs. And the projectionist was in there sobbing. He says, the most powerful thing I've ever seen. Don't let those assholes tell you anything. Go run with this thing. This is powerful. Mm-hmm. And God bless Steve Bell at KTLA, who uh, passed uh, a number of years ago. Steve captured the vision, put it on the air. It, it, it won a Best Directing Emmy. And um, it, it became the most sought-after property of the year. Every studio, except Paramount, bid on it. Every producer in Hollywood, from Jerry Weintraub to Joe Roth to you name it, every actor called us, Mel Gibson, Charlie Sheen, Sean Penn, Dustin Hoffman, everybody wanted Good Iron Gang. And my point is that was in 1992, maybe 93. The film went to to the studio and it went into development hell for four years. Mm -hmm. The movie never got made. It it went through everybody from Forrest Whitaker to Bruce Willis to God knows David Caruso, um, who I had the pleasure of thanking in person for not doing the film. Um, and it, it literally went into turnaround hell. It had a $2 million price tag against it. And it sat for 13 years unmade. Mm-hmm. And, um, God bless Neil Moritz who, you know, produces Fast and the Furious and SWAT and, and everything else that's successful in Hollywood. Um, we called Neil, we got, we got kind of the rumblings that football films were becoming the thing where we knew Friday night, Friday night lights was made. We knew they were making facing the giants invincible with Mark Wahlberg. We are Marshall. And look, let's be honest, and you said it early on, is Hollywood copies itself, it's a safe way. And we called Neil, who had always been kind to us, and we knew when he was running uh, original film with David Heyman in Santa Monica before he, he went on to do the, the Harry Potter series. 
And Neil always loved Gridiron Gang. And we called him and said, do you want to make Gridiron? He said, yes. And we went in and met with Neil a couple of days later. And it was my wife's idea to suggest The Rock. She had seen him on the A&E biography and we mentioned it to Neil and he got excited and said, I'm having dinner with him next week. Get me the documentary. I want to give it to him. We, we gave him the documentary. I ran it over to his office that day. And Neil called me three days later and said, Dwayne wants to meet you and your dad and go up to the prison. And we had to go picture like immediately. It took mm. 14 years, but right. Right. what we went through in those first years at the studio when Mark Canton was running it was absolute hell. Um, and, and I will say that, and I don't care who's offended. It was, it was a fucking shit show and he was fired and Amy Pascal came in and she cleaned the deck and said, we're starting over and let's bring in mine. And Amy did a tremendous job running the studio and she's gone on to do bigger and better things since. And, um, when Neil got involved, he, he went back to the documentary. He went back to Jeff McGuire's script from 1993 and said, this is what got everybody excited. Stay in the lane, let's make this. And if you watch the documentary and you watch the scripted film that Dwayne Johnson starred in uh, portraying Sean Porter, it is a parallel. Mm -hmm. there, is a, there is the backstory of his mom being, so the side story of his mom being sick and dying of cancer during the season, that happened. We didn't, we didn't go there. We didn't have that relationship with Sean at the time to follow, and he didn't want to talk about his mom dying yeah. during the season. We scripted that part. Mm -hmm. everything else if you watch the movie is like just lifted and that's that's endorsing exactly what you said is you lose control people take over they they turn it into something that it was never meant to be and it, it dies on the vine yeah. that's exactly what happened with Gridiron Gang and you know it was the best it was number one box office hit for two weeks and um, it was something that I, I'd like to think we're all very proud of. And, and, and we, we all stuck to our guns and, uh, God bless Amy Pascal and Ange Gianetti and Matt Tomac over at Sony, uh, Sony, they all, they all, they all embraced the, the concept and said, let's, let's do it that way. Yeah. And now look at you, you're on the go gorilla film cast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I absolutely. I, you know, I get a lot of people saying, why, why aren't you doing more of those? And I say, because it took 14 years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I just I'm snap a, my fingers. Film, and make I'm, 10 more I'm on my third film this year, starting in August. I mean, this is, I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a development guy. Yeah. 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 I, I don't want to fall in love with a concept and go through a whole developmental process and then halfway through it, find out an executive gets fired. It's like the record business. You know, how many bands get signed by these A&R guys that see them at a club one night mm -hmm. and they start developing a record deal and then the A&R guy gets fired and the band sadly is locked to a contract with this, this record label that never has an intention to make the record. Yeah, I, I don't want to be that as a filmmaker. I've got people I work with that I love, that that I, I yearn to be around and create and grow with and the excitement and the frustration of making movies. I, I'd rather fail at three movies a year then make one every 14 years it does well yes i, I want yeah. yeah no kidding uh, i wanted to ask about like how how it's changed and shifted and and where things are are now i mean I, I feel like a lot of this stuff translates obviously you're still building relationships you're still following your passion and your art but just from i guess from a more logistical standpoint are things easier now because digital has become ubiquitous or do they find you find it to be more difficult Oh, boy, he's taking some time to answer this one. <laughs> I almost need you to rephrase that one. Well, it's just just in terms of like how how 
this the 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 getting films made side of it you know you you, you have on one hand you have i mean pandemic aside you have more avenues in terms of like Amazon, Netflix and Hulu and all this other crap. Social media. Um, but theaters are still, you know, alive and thriving or we assume they will be when this is all over. Um, has, that, has, that, has that added or, <laughs> ha, or taken away at all in terms of well, like it's, how? I think it's a great question. I think it's inspired the hell out of a lot of people to pick up the camera and start shooting. Um, what they forget is Amazon, Hulu, Netflix are all dealing with the big studios and the big showrunners and the big agencies. So there are more platforms at the highest level. I think the, the, the wall is just as tough to penetrate. Um, but on the flip side, God forbid you make something that they want to acquire, good on you. Um, but again, uh, you have to look at the big picture and and say, you know, everybody everybody who doesn't understand the dynamics of the business says, well, we'll, we'll make this for Netflix or, hey, well, hopefully Netflix will buy it. Yeah. And you got to look at that and say, is this really the best thing for the film and for financial returns to our investor? Mm-hmm. Um uh, people need to really look into how those deals are and what they acquire films for and what their payout schedule is. Yes. Um, and once it goes to a platform like that, is anybody else going to pick it up? Now, it's definitely a great way to go. All of us would love Netflix to to buy and make deals with us. That's a great thing. I think because there's even bigger, better opportunity for up and coming filmmakers. I mean, every day I turn around, there's a new streaming platform that's offering people opportunity. And it may not pay up front. It may not give you a minimum guarantee, but some of these streaming platforms are paying decent returns. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not box office dollars. It's not network TV dollars by any stretch, but it's an opportunity. And mm-hmm. if they feel that something that works on their platform, it can generate a revenue, whether it be from clickbait, from ads, or just clicks in general, it sure beats the alternative of having a, a Blu-ray or a DVD coaster on your coffee table. Yeah, uh, that nobody sees. I I just think that the cool thing is is we have the opportunity to show our work now in so many different ways. Back in the day, it used to be in theaters. Yeah, and it became home video and theaters. Then it became cable TV. Maybe not in that order, but those were really the only three places. Yeah, and then other networks started opening up, and it it got people to create more content. Once all of a sudden, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, Stars, Encore. And all the rest, you know, AMC and the movie channel and all those things started opening up. It opened up the floodgates uh, then and they're happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's like you said earlier, as the cream rises to the top. And I think there's more of an opportunity for our work to be seen and for filmmakers to get their work exploited to at least use that to grow to another step. Yeah, because I, I I love being able to find films that I would never have been able to find 10 years ago just with a click of a button. You know, there's so many films that I would never, you know, would have to go into a blockbuster and look in the middle aisles for some well, We've had guests films. on that I've just found shorts on YouTube and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I want to talk to this person or animations yeah. and things like that. I mean, this, those, those are platforms that just didn't exist. And, yeah. and you you really did have to be connected to, to have your work be seen. Yeah. And now it's, I think that, that where we are is great if you can keep things sort of modest in terms of your expectations. You know, it's like if if you just want to, like, if you want to make film, there are so many ways for you to get your work out there. If you're looking to become a millionaire, good luck. And that's what everybody wants. That's, you know, that's always been a goal for, for people from the beginning was to be able to make all this money off their film. Sure. But I think that again, it's, it's having those expectations. Like, are you, do you want to make films 
or do you want to be famous? Because those are two completely different. They're worlds things. apart. They're yeah. worlds apart. And and I, I think it more you see it more with actors that don't learn the craft yes. that are more interested in being getting their likes on social media platforms or being seen or be the star. But you say, okay, where are you studying? What's your background? Where are you going to class to a few nights a week? Huh? You know, oh, yeah. well, I'm, I've got 5,000 likes on my last Instagram post. I mean, yeah. I, it, it, it's mind blowing. I, I was consulting on a film last month that was shooting out of state and producers are good friends of mine and they were casting the film or reaching out to me to help get some cast. <laughs> and their investors kept coming back saying, no, 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 we, we, we need Instagram models. We need Instagram. Yeah. So and I'm like, okay, wait, are you making a movie or are you building a social media platform? Because they're worlds apart. And I get you want a star that has social media presence, but are you hiring somebody that just wants to be a star that doesn't want to learn the craft? And it goes back to what we talked about earlier in those five things. Yeah. Your actors suck. I don't care how many likes they have on Instagram. The actor sucks. That's not a good thing. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's no surprise. And, and again, nothing against Cindy Crawford. I'm a huge fan. Uh, who isn't? <laughs> But if you look at her movie she did with the Baldwin, Billy Baldwin, a hundred yeah. years ago, I should be the first one to tell you that I hated acting. I wasn't good at it. And it was a big mistake. But there you go. She was the Instagram queen of back then before there was Instagram. Yeah. And look how, you know. Yeah, I mean, she's <coughs> so she has seen it. You know, where they're, they're looking for, they're specifically looking for that in casting calls. You know, someone yeah. with, with the big following, and it's like. It's an actor's night. When that started to become a thing, I mean, it's not, I was probably like, not a I'm film you screwed. want to be part of anyway. <laughs> I was like, yeah, if, if me actor. getting hired as an actor is contingent upon how many Instagram followers I have, then forget it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, but it's so sad that that is that that uh, was it Sophie Turner, the one that had said she had. I think Sophie Turner had said that she had gotten hired for something that because of all the fans that she had because of Game of Thrones, but right, right. that the the actress that that she was up against was far superior an actor, but she didn't have as many followers. And she was saying like, you know, it was, it was bullshit. I, I basically got the gig because I was more popular, but I, I wasn't the better actor. Yeah. And uh, that's just- It happens horrible. all the time now. That's, I know. that's really what it is. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, if people want to cast their films that way, um, good on them. I mean, that's their right. I think at the end of the day, when Instagram and Facebook are in the rearview mirror and, and, and the day will come where they are, it's just inevitable. I mean, you know, God forbid we were going after the people with all the MySpace followers. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Michael Anthony and not the bass player from Van Halen, but the photographer had like 3.5 million followers on MySpace. I mean, you know, um, the day will come mm -hmm. yeah. and now it's TikTok. And, and I get it. I get everybody's looking for that bite, that snippet, um, that, uh, uh, uh a model or somebody who's a personality on YouTube or Instagram can generate. I think if you can get one to do a cameo and maybe be the one who's walking, you know, pretentiously out down Rodeo Drive with packages a la Julia Roberts yeah. <laughs> and, and breaks a heel and falls and there's a beat, that's just as effective. I mean, she's going to get as many viewers for that as she will if you're mistakenly starring her in the movie. Yeah, so I, I think you have to navigate that because, again, it goes back to sinking the ship. I mean, you know, there are some some musicians that have, you know, look at Mick Jagger in uh, what was the movie he starred in um, back in the 80s mm -hmm. uh, when he was on top of the world. I mean, you know, those mistakes get made. Yeah. But it speaks to what what you what you feel is most important about the film. <laughs> yeah. What you feel is most important about your film. Is it the strength of your actor or is it the popularity? And if you know. But you know what? That's also I mean, that 
I can't think of anything worse and more panic-inducing as a co-star to these people because I it's not fair because that that was when you say don't hire your uncle and this and that you know when we when we first started all we had were our friends you know and um, one of the first things I kind of I when I met Paul he was making like horror movies as everybody does when they start out (laughs) and. I saw something in him and I was like, look, if you want to do this, then why don't you do this? Like, but for real, not have it be a hangout. Like, and the first thing I did was like, I don't want anybody come out on fucking set with beer. Like, this isn't a hangout. We're actually filming and the party, you can party afterwards or the next weekend. But that was the thing that I started phasing out because I, we were working. I'm like, dude, everybody's already like loaded and we still have like five hours to go. It's two o'clock in the morning, you know, like, and so it's like, this is a hangout where you happen to be filming. But we're not filming. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I when I started to the first actor that I worked with that was an actor that had more experience than me, that made me a better actor. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize what I was missing when I was, you know, my, my scene partner was somebody who really wasn't interested in being an actor. And when I actually got to work with another actor, I was like, oh, this is this is life changing. Like, this is what it this is what it is. And from that point on, I was like. I, you know, yeah. Hey, if you want to sit in that, we have a small part, you know, when your friend's like, Hey, I'm interested in being in the film. Hey, yeah, here, go hand them that paper. That's what your job is on the set. But like, we can't gauge our friendship on whether or not I put you in my film because we have shit at stake here. Like we're funding this and I want the best people. And I want someone who's going to help me give the best performance that I can give as an actor. And that's your scene partner. If you're not listening to your scene partner and playing that game, then it's, you can tell, you know, when you, you see, we see, we've seen this in film fest where like this person's obviously not an actor. It's a great story, but I'm so distracted by the fact that they're not really actors and you can tell and they've I'll, memorized their lines. I'll, I'll tell give you. them that. <laughs> well, you yeah, hope they memorize the lines. I was on a film. I was hired as a director for something once. It was like near the end of doing these, these higher gigs where I realized this, there's such a change in this industry that you just got to control it. And I got called in to direct the film and they had a respectable cast, but they hired a couple of people that were really big on, on social media mm-hmm. early years, the YouTubes, the, the MySpace. And they hired a young lady who had all the numbers and a nice person, but it's not about nice person. It's about doing the work and knowing your craft. And I remember they had an actor who was really good. I mean, this this guy, we're talking like, you know, Juilliard trained and won a Tony and this dude was the real deal. And this this person can remember two lines, didn't care, just mm. said, hey, can you just like, you know, tell me the lines and I'll parrot them type of thing. It was really a shit show. And I remember we were at lunch, we were at meal break and I was in line getting food behind them. And this actor had just lost his shit and rightfully so turned to her and he said, you're an actor, right? And she said, well, yeah. And he said, so your job is to know how to act, learn your lines and do your job. He said, everybody on the set is doing that except you. Just do us all a favor and don't come out of your trailer until you learn your lines and walk away. But I'll tell you something, she came back, she's a little better. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it was evident that the actors were really just done. I mean, it got to the yeah. point where the crew was reciting the lines. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, when you have gaffers and grips and freaking dolly guys and PAs like feeding her lines, you know, you're without a script in their lap, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> it was really bad. It was really bad. And, and, and it really, it really soiled. You know, I look at, I don't care if it's a $5 YouTube video doing a $5 million film, 
we're blessed to be on a set. Let's enjoy the process. And yeah. And it really ruined the day and um, a show. And it, it was unfair to everybody who yeah. were prepared. Just be prepared. You know, Stace, uh, Tracy, who is it? Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on this great actor's name who, who is famous for the line is, you know, when you're when you show up on my movies, know your lines and take your mark. That's all you have to do. You do that, we'll get along great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I know it's Spencer Tracy or somebody, but yeah, that was his rule. It's just know your lines and hit your mark. Yeah. And God forbid, you know, they're they're worried about taking selfies on a set and not hugging their lines. Oh man. I've had experience with that. I uh, (laughs) but that but it speaks to the point of like you hit on something there. It's just like we're here to like it's so important to me to have fun. Like there's a lot of work to get done and it's stressful and we all get that, but there's just like we're doing this because we're fun, because it's fun, you know? It's it, to her to what Sashia was saying before, and that like you know I was making movies with my friends and drinking and having a good time. I mean, there's a whole lot of issues we we can dive into my <laughs> my head as to why that was. You know, if I didn't believe myself at the time or whatever it was. But but the point is, is like we do this because we love it. And the minute that you have people around you that are just bringing that down, it's it's just a nightmare. And I get it; it's stressful, and you got a lot to do, and all that sort of stuff. But it's like if you're not enjoying it, this then this isn't the right set. No, it's not. There's too many people that want it. There's too many people that are, are are genuinely here to do it and do it with their all because they love it and they're passionate and they will go wait tables and clean dishes and dig ditches during the day to get an opportunity to go to a, to put enough money together to afford their acting class or their writing seminars or whatever it is they're into. And, and I, I just think that people don't respect the craft enough um as often anymore that come in and they just think they're going to wing it and um it really it really is it's sad and i i i hope that goes the way of the dodo sooner than later yeah i I don't think so unfortunately (laughs) i'm just a pessimist (laughs) life's life's a popularity contest yeah oh yeah yeah and i'm the weird girl in the corner so (laughs) (laughs) i I raised my glass to you because you know i uh, i just I just don't understand how somebody could, you know, you're not going to go get a a job as a race car driver. If you don't know how to drive, you're not going to become a champion horse racer. If you don't know how to ride a horse, Um, it's, it's a little bit more than giddy up and yah. And uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's unfortunate. A lot of people come into this for the the fame, as you said, or the stardom or the riches. And that's, that's, to me, that's, that, that's just a, a whole nother, part of it that if you do your job and you're lucky enough and get discovered that that hopefully can happen for you but that shouldn't be why you're here and that certainly shouldn't be your catalyst yeah absolutely it's it's not how it works no man well someday we'll have to deal with that problem (laughs) (laughs) well shane thank you so much for being on um, we're oh, going to have links to to everything and the book as well. So you guys should check it out um, and check out the videos as well on YouTube. There's a yeah, lot of information great. on there. Actually, don't even – you shouldn't have even listened to this podcast. Just go <laughs> just watch go, the videos. It's fine. watch the videos. <laughs> Too late now, suckers. <laughs> um, but thanks so much for being on. Oh, it's my pleasure. This was an honor. And, and anytime if you guys uh, want to kill another hour and a half of your life and talk to me, you know where to find me. Absolutely. You've heard it. Uh, uh, you've, <laughs> Gonna hold you to that. Hold you to that. Yeah. <laughs> anytime. No, I love. I love. This has been an absolute pleasure and a joy. And and, and anytime. Thank you so Great, much. Thanks. Absolutely. Right. Thank you. That was Mr. Shane Stanley. It was. You know what? Good so dude. So much info. Yeah. Good dude. A lot of info. That was a good. That was a great. I'm gonna chat. pat myself on the. I'm pat myself on the back for reaching out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this guy's gonna be a good guest. I actually thought he'd be like, no, I'm not gonna be on your show. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. It's so weird now. You get to that level that we're at, where like, 
you have to talk to other people to talk to the per- you know what I mean? Like you're like, oh my yeah. god, you have an assistant or yeah. an, a manager, can you, can an agent. You, can you send that to my agent? You're what? Yeah. Wow. Okay. You have an agent. You want to talk to us? Weird. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So do do check out all of the YouTube yeah, videos. Have we're all gonna the links. yeah. We're gonna have all the links because there's so like I'm still going through them myself. This is like the tip of the iceberg. There's so many that you yeah. know, So many so many topics that we didn't even get to because the conversation would have been like nine hours. Um, but and it was afterwards. But. <laughs> but but do watch all that stuff. We'll have the link to his book. Um, a lot of good information there. And yes. And so hopefully he'll come back. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we'll come back. He has to see our work, so we're going to send him our stuff. And if we never hear from him again, we'll yeah. be like, fair game. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. It's fine. Yeah, get it. He's like, I don't want to be on the show yeah. again. You guys are terrible. I always find it crazy how long it takes to make a film in the studio system. Yeah. You know, it's a long process. Yeah. And you could be spending four or five months on something and it completely falls apart and you've just, just wasted. Is that fun? It's crazy. Well, that's like so many of our, our actor friends when we hear about them I worked on such and such project and it took them two years to film and then nothing happens with it. Yeah. And like it's they like didn't all finish editing, up. they just dropped yeah. it. Like you what? All, I mean, look, this stuff we've known for years, but it's just always, it always boggles my mind, but my mind singular, all of them, all my minds, but it's just like, you know, uh, you do all this work, you spend years pre pre-production, then you have like 20 days to film it. So all of these years of work come down to what you can yeah. execute. Into. I mean, there's, you know, post and all that stuff. And if you've done your pre-production right, it'll go smoothly. But it's just crazy, you know. It's a lot of it's a lot of work. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I I I am voting team feature. I have yeah. to try to get you to just look. I'm on board. I feel like board, I feel sir. like we're we're at the level where you know there's certainly worse features out there than our shorts quality wise. <laughs> you know, from a quality perspective. Well, look, it's true. The confidence. There's, yeah, it's true. There's just a lot of crappy. There's a lot of great. Films that you that people never see, but there's also a lot of crap out there. So I know it's just for me. It's just a matter of time and money. You know, I think that's a, a big issue. A lot of that. It, a we have lot day of jobs, so initially. like getting the time off to film it. Yeah, and there's that too. Stuff. That's that, yeah. to me. That's Having probably the biggest thing. Yeah. We'd have to break it up, but um, well, maybe though. You know, because we technically got a half an, we got a, a half hour short. In four days, yeah, you know, another four well, or five we, days, we could have had well, a feature. We, we did some pickups too, so we yeah, went we back did up. some pickups, but not nothing too major. I mean, yeah. it, it was like a minute of time, really, in, yeah. at the end of the day. But um, I think that this—that's where a lot it's of like it's the, gonna yeah. fall on on what I pick. I have to be so careful about what I'm writing because the two features that I have, we're not we're not gonna get the money for those. We yeah. would need like twenty five. $30,000 for those. So yeah. it's like, okay, now I have to, I have to come up with a concept for a feature that we can make for like 10 grand. Yeah. And even that's a lot for us, but. Yeah. Um, well, look, when I sell my NFTs, we'll be fine. We'll fund the movie. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Pipe dreams. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, I don't know what we have going on for, for next week. I don't know. There's so many things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll figure it out. A lot of movies and stuff coming out. But uh, as always, shout out to MoGraph. And um, if you have a film, short, whatever that you want us to see, or just a film that you saw on Netflix or whatever streaming platform that you think maybe we haven't watched, then we should check out. Let us know. And we thank you for joining us. Thank you so and much. And go check out all of Shane's work. Yes, do it. Bye. Bye. Bye.